Hello, Petey. Can you hear me? If you can't, you're in trouble. My culture is based on freedom and self-determination. Freedom is irrelevant. Self-determination is irrelevant. You must comply. That's right, boys. Mondo cool. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. My plans have followed a path unpredicted by the union of NAR and GDI. I want the people of America to be able to work less for the government and more for themselves. Historical Diversions History Over Drinks This is part two of my interview with Naval veteran Chris John. I'd recommend starting from episode one, but if you already have or would rather listen to this episode first, join us. This is Chris John, part two. You were essentially 93 to 97. Uh, we weren't really in a hot war type of situation where it's like, okay, we're expecting anything to happen at any time, or at least the perception of we're not expecting to have something happen. Um, especially in your experience, was it, we hear things about military readiness. Mm -hmm. Did you guys get drilled when you were, when you were on ship all the time? Or was that something that it was, okay, we've already drilled you. There's no point in drilling you. 60 more times or you know something like that uh, we hear military readiness was that part of your life as well or how how did that kind of work because especially for a civilian we think well yes these guys are in theory best of the best something happens you guys are on it uh because i mean we're talking national defense this is a pretty big deal how did they you know did they drill you often or was that something that, well, we already know you guys have the skills when it comes up, it comes up. That is an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, so in the military, they're always drilling. They can't drill you enough. I don't think. Um, and it's always testing to make sure that you're ready and you're able to do the jobs um, in the Navy in particular. We, we, we roll in gangs called carrier groups, basically. You have um, four or five aircraft carriers on a certain coast, um, whether it be Atlantic, Pacific. There's some international spots as well where a carrier group would be, you know, the aircraft carrier, a cruiser, a couple destroyers, supply ships, a submarine, those types of things that would go out and I'm probably missing a, a boat, so I apologize if I missed your boat. Uh, <laughs> and, and the group would go out, and we would go out as a team, basically. The aircraft carrier is the center. It's the queen on your chessboard, basically. Everybody's there to protect that, that carrier. It, they would have... Um, we would go out on six-month deployments. On the East Coast, they would call those med cruises, where they would go out to the Mediterranean, basically. Um, on the West Coast is called a Westpac, Western Pacific kind of a acronyms, or you know they merge words together quite a bit in the military. So uh, we'd go on a six-month deployment called Westpac, and that is like that's the Super Bowl. That's the that's the main voyage you would go on, and we'd go out for what's usually termed about six-month deployment, 
where we you would go overseas and you would actually do a mission of some sort or another and come back at the time uh, you said we're not in a hot war we were in a very warm war at the point um, the, Iraq, uh, the first Gulf War started in 91 as far as the media concerned it was done in 91 but it was really ongoing throughout that time it was an active war zone up until right around 9-11 I think even um, it, you, you would enter that and you would be in a war zone basically and you would be treated as a war veteran um, if you entered into that Persian Gulf area because that was still a war zone. Uh, we would go out for uh, three months out in the Persian Gulf basically taking turns. So one carrier group, let's say the independence is out there. So they would have left, you know, uh, take a month and a half to get out to the Persian Gulf, be out there for three months, and then we would leave um, probably about a month and a half of them out in the Persian Gulf so that we would get out there to relieve them. They could head back for their month and a half, which makes a total of six months for their crews. We'd be out there for three months till another carrier group comes and relieves us. So we're out there doing operations. We're um, maintaining the no-fly zone because with the first Gulf War, obviously, that is where Saddam Hussein took over the Kuwait. And we, as a part of the United Nations, came in and pushed them out. And then we wanted to hold them in check to make sure he wasn't doing it again. So we you know, instituted these no-fly zones over Iraq. And that was our big mission at the time. It was Desert Storm, um, Desert Shield, uh, Operation Southern Watch, all these you know, great commercial names for yeah. it, <laughs> as the military does. And so that, that, was, that was our job, our role. As you get ready for that Westpac, you have to prepare. So it's like practicing as a team. You would go, we would go down what's called workups. So being on an aircraft carrier um, based out of Bremerton, Washington, 3,000 people on board, ship's company, we'd get on the ship, we'd take three days, go down to San Diego, pick up our air wing. Um, our air wing was uh, all the different um, planes that would go on to the ship, whether that be the F-18s, we had F-14s at the time, we had A-6s, S-3s, uh, cargo planes, uh, helicopters, A6Bs. Uh, no, I'm missing one. Well, I apologize if I didn't mention your plane. But yeah, so he's, the, he's just so unpatriotic. You can tell. You can tell. <laughs> right. He's like he doesn't care about any care of this. About, there's some people I just don't care about. <laughs> and they they have support staff, um, whether that be administrative or you know mechanics for the different planes, those types of things. And so they would come on board, and then we would do what's called workups. We'd go out and practice drills, launching and catching planes, um, different drills as far as being attacked. We got hit. We're, um, you know, general quarters, general quarters, everybody man the battle stations or man overboard, you know, all these drills that you would do. And you'd be tested. Um, you would start practicing. You'd do, I think, three different workups. And the last one, you're getting tested to make sure you're battle ready to be able to go out and relieve the next carrier. I don't know what happens if you're not battle ready. I don't yeah. know if there was a backup crew. I, <laughs> maybe, I don't know. I wasn't privy to those kind of conversations. But it, it, we would we would then go out to <clears throat> relieve the next carrier. And you know they, they have different competitions for that as well. And what's called the Battle E. So the best carrier group gets the Battle E award. And so we, we won that one year. That was a pretty fun thing. Everybody gets a medal for that. 
or I guess it's a ribbon. Is that, was, no. is that is that synonymous like with commendation or is that because yeah. uh, especially like on the outside looking in, you hear about like all these like different awards and it's like, OK, yeah. not everyone gets a purple heart for just showing up to their ship. <laughs> right. But it's like, OK, it's like there's commendation, there's awards, there's like, uh, you know, various like uh, various like merit based like titles yeah. and stuff like that. Right. Right. And, you know, when I watch movies, military movies and things of that nature, I, I look at their awards all the time because, you know, it, it, it's different if you've been in the military. You can look at those and you can just basically read exactly what he's done based on his, you know, his ribbons <laughs> <laughs> or her ribbons, I'm sorry. But um, for the most part, that uh, you you get, there are certain individual awards that you get for doing certain, you know, valor-type duties. Um, like I mentioned before, the Navy Achievement Medal is one you can win for doing above and beyond your job, basically. Um, or there's accommodations you get for just being a part of an action. So we were uh, part of a couple of different <clears throat> national strategies. So we, you know, we got what's called the meritorious unit accommodation. Or for being in a war zone, we got the um, Armed Forces Expeditionary Medal, which that's what says you, you're a war veteran is when you get something like that or you can get a campaign medal like the southeast um accommodation medal for being out in a part of the persian gulf war or you know you get a sea service ribbon for being out at sea for three months um, those types of things and then there are other awards the national defense medal everybody gets a national defense medal if you're in the military during uh it's the red and yellow one that you probably see more often than not um they, they actually stopped giving that out one very recently it's finally became a point where they're we're not in war anymore, so you're not getting the National Defense Medal. But it, they called it the boot camp medal because you got it for just going into boot camp. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, so, yeah, and there's actually, we had ribbons and medals for um, shooting um, where in the Marines they would get like a, it was like a metal badge. We'd have a ribbon for that. So Like a marksmanship, marksmanship sort of thing. Yeah, badge basically. It was a ribbon. So it, it all depended. Now, was that something that, and your experience, especially like knowing that it's like, yep, I'm, I'm going to say serving my time, but it's not going to, it, any negative connotations are not, uh, are not implied. Yeah. Um, but that it's like, yep, you're, you're, you're doing, you're doing what you got to do was, did you know people that it was like, oh yeah, I want to earn medals. Oh, I want to earn distinctions. Or was it pretty much that it's like, Hey man, I'm here to do my job like or and or even for you it's like hey i'm here to do my job it's like if if we get stuff great but uh that isn't necessarily gonna put you know any more zeros in my bank account so to speak <laughs> <laughs> well well stated i i think it's it's sort of like you, you hear like sports um figures they'll say oh, i was just trying to do the thing for the team you know they're looking at their record. They know exactly <laughs> how many touchdowns they had, those sort of things. So I would say it's a lot like that. Uh, outwardly, they would say, yeah, I'm just another medal, ribbon, whatever. But if, if you get enough of them, you know, they start calling you war hero, that type of thing. It, there is a source of pride there, obviously. Obviously, um, I ended up with, I think, was seven ribbons um, when I got done. 
I was, I was okay with that. That wasn't bad. <laughs> that wasn't bad. I was hoping for a few. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, it just makes you feel a little bit better more than just the lonely little guy, National Defense Medal, just hanging there. Yeah, yeah that it's uh, it's yeah. It, the participation, uh, the participation, <laughs> participation ribbon. Award. And uh, <laughs> right. where it's like, yes, you showed up. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, here's this thing you've got. Everybody gets a trophy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, one question I've, I've wondered, and and this is going to show how how much of a nerd I am. One of the Star Trek episodes uh, was that it's like, oh, Starfleet went from this exploration one in like a different timeline and it became far more militarized. And one of the things I thought was unrealistic was they were in this battle and it was literally, it, the captain kept barking orders and corrections and it just seemed that it was like, wait, shouldn't these people be operating independently without having to like say, oh, course correction to this, course correction to this, course correction to this, oh, this sort of deal. If you're in a battle simulation, are you expected to hear a whole bunch of like different orders that might be countermanded in like the next 30 seconds? Or was it something where it's like, you're meant to do a job at this time, you're trained to do a job at this time, and unless, until the situation's over, you're just doing your job, or are you expected to essentially be getting orders during, you know, for lack of a better term, the heat of battle, um, that it's like, oh, I'm supposed to be doing my job. And now I'm hearing this guy in my ear. Like, how did, how did that sort of thing work? <laughs> it probably ends, uh, probably is on how the whole operation ended up. If it ended up badly, then you should have been, you should have been doing something different. <laughs> but in reality, you're supposed to do what is, what is, what you're ordered to do, what you're told to do, no matter what the consequences or you know, what your fears are, because you're supposed to trust the rank above you more than your own senses because they know better. They've been there longer, that type of thing. Um, is it a perfect world? It looks great on paper, but probably not. Uh, no, you, you're supposed to listen to what the orders are and you don't vary from the orders. Um, there probably are some out there that, well, I, I decided to do this because I saw that and they got awarded for it because it ended up being good. Had it ended up badly, that would not be the case. And yeah. You would be reprimanded accordingly. But I would say for the most part, yeah, you're supposed to listen to what they say. Now, was that something that, because especially like, especially in your verbiage there, and I'm not trying to be a defense attorney cross-examining you, <laughs> right. but that it was like, yeah, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to do as what I'm ordered to do. Was it something that you felt that it was always a, well, this is what they're telling me to do and I'm doing it. Or in your head, were you like, oh my God, that's a really stupid order. Or maybe that never happened. And because they were, once they got in that position, it was like, nope, that was the correct way because they have all that experience that is like, nope, that made sense. Or I didn't know the situation. They know the situation because they're the level above me. Did those kind of thoughts go through your head or was it oh, pretty yeah. much? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're young. You're straight out of high school. You know everything still. Yeah. <laughs> so you knew definitely knew better than what they did. But they beat me down pretty well, you know, in boot camp. They broke you, right? They basically, it, it's being able to listen and understand and, and, and know that you're supposed to do what is ordered. Um, sometimes it's against your own um, best interest, right? You're putting yourself in harm's way. And sometimes, it, you know, depending on your personality, obviously I have a different type of personality. Other people might be a little bit more 
well, he has no idea what he's talking about sort of a thing. I this always, guy, this guy's a, this guy doesn't this, get it. This guy's a buffoon. He has absolutely <laughs> no idea what he's talking about. Um, my my perception, and gets all into that perception thing, um, was that they do know what they're talking about. I should listen to them and, and follow what they say. Um, now, I wasn't in any hardcore battles, if you will, so it's a little bit different. Um, mine is stripping and waxing a deck or doing those types of things or, you know, practicing on some of the different equipment, whether that be the machine guns or what have you. Uh, and when somebody gives an order, you listen. And you're, you're really trained a lot differently than most civilians pretty basically understand that when somebody barks, you, you learn to listen. Um, they're pretty good at that, that brainwashing thing. Yeah. <laughs> they're very good at that. Now, and this is something that especially uh, within this conversation, going along the lines of you have to, you know, have confidence. Uh, trust, I think, is earned, but confidence is that it's like, well, I'm trained to do this. Uh, when I start my car, I have confidence that the engine is going to start. I don't trust that it does. I just have confidence it does. Mm-hmm. Um did you happen to like build like relationships with any of like your uh, superior officers? Was that something that was uh, either encouraged or discouraged or was it something where it was almost more of a, Hey, I'm doing my job. I know this guy. I don't really know much about his family. I don't know much about, about him, but he outranks me. And if he tells me to do something, I'm going to do it. Did you build relationships like that with, I guess, we could even expand that. Did you build relationships with people even at your own level? Or was that something where it's just like, hey, I'm just doing my job and that's just what it is? Oh, you're together all the time. So yeah, you do build relationships. I mean, you got to remember we're on the ship. Um, the people in my division, I slept with 30 people, basically. We were all right next to each other. Um, you learn all kinds of things about them. Um, personal um whether you liked it or not, you learned all kinds of things about people, whether they snore, whether they sleepwalk, what, you know, what do they like when they drink? What do they like when they're, you know, out, out and about, you know, what do they do for, you learn those things, especially with your peers. Uh, as you go up the ranks, uh, and I would, I would say that anywhere from, you know, I'm going to give military terminology here, E1 to E6. So from um, in the Navy, that means seaman recruit to, a petty officer for his class, you're basically in the same gang of people, basically, no matter where you rank. Whether uh, first class gives me an order, I will follow it, but I'll know about his family. I'll know, you know, maybe we go out, we'll, I mean, we hit the ports together, right? Mm-hmm. So we'll still go out together, we'll still talk, we'll have fun together. There is a little bit of a break when you get to the next level, which is um, in the Navy, that means the chiefs, the chiefs, senior chief, master chief, those levels, um, those guys are a little bit higher ranked. You wouldn't know as much about them, but you still know their personal life. You know a little bit about them because, again, you're spending a lot of time with them. Um, if I was to try to civilianize that, you're looking, um, E6 would be like a supervisor or a manager, whereas a chief would be like a director mm. a level. So <clears throat> they will... You'll have some conversation, but you know when that friendship starts and when that friendship ends, definitely. You're definitely well aware of that. And anybody in the officer ranks, I would have normal conversations with people that are officers all the time. But you always remember to, you know, 
address them correctly, either sir or ma'am. Mm-hmm. Um, you salute them when you see them. Um, and you know where that that conversation stops and ends, when the friendship starts and ends. You know, you listen to when they give orders. They're not much older than you, some of those officers, right? But they're still they still outrank you. And again, you've been browbeaten enough that you know when they say something, you listen. Um, so you do have friendships. You do you do you do meet people. You do um, know them very well. And I still I have some contact with some people from the military still, um, because you do become uh, brothers and sisters in arms. You, you work went together. You spent a lot of time together. You did a lot of stuff together. Now, is that something that? Especially like knowing certain things was that, and this may be like more of like a drama question than uh, probably I would imagine it would be. But if it was something where it's like, oh, you know that, uh, you know that this officer was cheating on his wife. I'm throwing out a random situation that it's like, yeah, he outranks me, but God, he's a jerk. Or was it something where it was like, yeah, I asked about things. And if I didn't see like, you know, on his desk, he didn't have a picture of his wife on there anymore. I assume something happened. It's none of my business, or was that something that it didn't take long to figure out that it's like, oh, something happened, or oh, this is really different. Uh, I think that might be a more drama question, but it's something that it's like, well, if you're in these tight quarters, if you're in this deal, was it something that you ended up seeing that like, no, they're these guys are people just like everybody else, and it's almost like an office politics thing where it's like, oh yeah, you get it, and but you still have a job to do sort of thing. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Yes, you, you would you would pick up on different things. Uh, you know, the, I know of people that cheated on their spouse. Um, good, bad, or otherwise, you just you just know that that happened because you've seen them out and about. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it happens. It's not um, not something you necessarily discuss with them unless you're really close with them. Um, maybe maybe you bring it up. I didn't go tell their wives or anything like that. Yeah. I didn't. And some of the wives I didn't really know that well, you know. But um, yeah, it it definitely was something that you knew about. Or again, we're close quarters here. Um, it's just like going to an office every day, especially when you know you're out on deployment. You guys are together all the time. You get tired of each other. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like anything else, you learn to adapt. And you, you deal with it, and you know you find your ways to, to to um, relieve, you know some of the stress that builds up between, you know constantly seeing the same people over and over again. There are people you like, there are people you don't like, but you have to deal with them, and you have to learn to work with them. That's probably the biggest thing in all of the military, is learning to work with somebody that you may not always agree with or may not even always like. It's just a matter of being able to work together at finding a common goal. Now, we we talked earlier about like uh, the carrier group, yeah, um, and that it's like you're dealing with a ton of different ships as well, um, but mm-hmm. also dealing with that it's like yeah, you're going to you're going to ports, you're you've got like shore duties, especially like being around like the, you know, we're talking like personnel. Are you interacting with the people that are on board like these other ships as well? Are you, uh, or is it something that it's pretty much like man, there's there's a bunch of people on my own ship I don't know. You're asking me about uh, people on other ships. I don't know anything about them. <laughs> well, it is possible. Uh, you you do interact, I mean, on, on base or where we're stationed or 
other ships, you run into people out in, out in town going out to different, you know, bars or going down, you know, you're going to run into people, you're going to meet different people, different places, or even, you know, their wives might have friends, you know, or, you know, your girlfriend has friends with somebody else. Or, you know, I never had a wife in the Navy, but those types of things. And uh, so, yeah, you meet other people on other ships, you have different conversations or, you know, when we went to ports, we'd go to ports with, <clears throat> again, a carrier group. So they would all be there, but you pretty much like stayed with the people you know, if you will. You had so many people you to choose from that, you know, from a, the aircraft carrier that, you, you know, you had friends together. Funny thing, I, I ran to Craig a couple times when I was out um, in San Diego, obviously, a couple times, um, Pearl Harbor, Craig was stationed out there. But we ran to each other in Dubai. And um, so we hung out together and I met some of the people on his ship. So it's it's those types of things. you're never as close to those people as you would be that you spend all this time with but yeah absolutely obviously but um yeah there's definitely relationships being built between the different ships and things now especially like with dealing with like one particular ship uh you mentioned to me that it was pretty much the nimitz was the ship that you were on yeah um is it typical and We'll, th we'll throw generalities in there that it's like, sure. oh, is it typical? Speak for every single person in every <laughs> single branch for me. Um, but at least in your experience, or I guess in the experience of other people that you've interacted with, was it pretty typical to serve on like one ship for like a particular length of time? And then it was like, yeah, I knew the Nimitz and that was the only ship I knew. And that was all right because there was plenty of ship there. Was that pretty typical? That's a great question. You have what's called a seashore rotation. And so you would be, um, I think for a torpedo man's mate, it was four to three. So you'd be four ship, three shore. And so every four years, you would rotate where you would be at, basically. So since I only did four years, I ended up on my sea rotation for the full time I was in. Had I extended, I would have still been <clears throat> on that ship duty for that full four years. And then they would um, move me to a shore-based duty for three years. And then if I was to stay in longer, I would end up going to another ship. Was, so that, was, a, was that a particular, like, would you have had a choice in being like, hey, I really love serving on the Nimitz, hypothetically speaking. Yeah. Would that have been something that would have been taken into account? Or is it pretty much just like, yeah, we get it, but we need you in a different place? It depended. I mean, if they needed you on the Nimitz, yeah, you could stay there. But if you needed to be moved somewhere else, you'd be moved somewhere else. More than likely, you'd be moved somewhere else, especially because you're supposed to do that three-year shore duty in between. Yeah. So they would flip me over to something else, and then I would come back and do another ship. Or, you know, it could be a completely different job, but I would, you know, still be within the torpedo man's rank. Yeah. Or, you know, rate, if you will, but not necessarily the same types of work that I was doing before. Because my, you know, it's pretty broad, doesn't even exist anymore, but um, each rate is different. So, yeah, there was a lot of guys that were what we call lifers, meaning they were in for the full 20, that had been to different ships, been to different shore duties. Been to, and for the most part, they tried to keep you on the same coast. So you start on the West Coast, you're going to stay on the West Coast unless you move for whatever reason. When I actually got out, it was, uh, we just completed the workups for around the world cruise because the Nimitz had to refuel the one and only time it ever had to be refueled because it was nuclear powered. Mm -hmm. um, it was a world 
a cruise and it ended up in Norfolk, Virginia at the end. If I was smarter, thinking back, I should have done it because how many opportunities do you get to take the world, go around the world? But in my mind, my EAOS, which is your end of active obligated service, your four years was up on August the 2nd. I'm done. I'm out. <laughs> I'm not going on this world cruise, but I definitely should have done that. You know, thinking back. Yeah. I was ready to move on to my next thing. Yeah. Young and stupid, right? But no, the adventure kind of got worn out of me, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I was ready to go to college is what I was doing. I felt like I was falling behind. Well, and especially like uh, kind of finishing up, you especially, uh, we mentioned that, you know, we're talking Gulf War 91 and we talked about kind of how the Nimitz was in the Persian Gulf, like essentially, you know, enforcing the no-fly zone, that yeah. sort of thing. Um, you know, for better or worse, uh, I shouldn't say for better or worse, but keeping the peace more or less. Yeah. Um, but that wasn't the only place, obviously, that the Nimitz was. Uh, you mentioned that seeing the world was one of the main reasons you went into the Navy to begin with. What other places did you get to see in your travels that, you know, stick out in your mind that I was like, man, I was really glad I saw this. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. It, it's fun. Uh, I know that it takes me one month to go from San Diego, California to Hong Kong <laughs> by a ship because that's what we did. So uh, when we went out for our Westpac, our six month cruise, we started out of, you know, Bremerton, went down, picked up our wing down in San Diego and then we ended up going out to Hong Kong. We had five days there. It was over Christmas 1995. <clears throat> um, and we were, unless you had duty that day, you were free to, you know, do whatever, you know, go see the, the town. And then uh, we take off from Hong Kong. And a week later, we were in Singapore, which is right off the equator. Um, we spent New Year's 1995 to 96. New Year's to, uh, in Singapore, five days again, uh, free, completely liberty, except if you had duty, you, you know, you got your ship for 24 hours, if you had duty, but outside of that, you were out, you know, seeing the town, doing tours, things like that. Um, and then we went into the Gulf, you know, so that was our month and a half trip out, went to the Gulf, we did um, one month of patrolling, and then we'd go into Dubai, or we went to Abu Dhabi, but then we would, you know, we could drive to Dubai from there, whatever. Um, we would be there for a couple of days and then go back out for a month. <clears throat> and we were supposed to go down to, after we finished our three months in the Persian Gulf, we were supposed to go to Australia. We were supposed to hit Tasmania and uh, Sydney, Australia. So excited for that. I thought that would have been the coolest thing ever. Um, and then, you know, hit Pearl Harbor on our way back and head back to... Um, San Diego drop off the air wing and back finally up to Bremerton. However, uh, during our time frame out there, as we were going out and went to Hong Kong, uh, we're about almost there. The waters was really choppy in the Southeast China Sea. Really choppy. I mean, aircraft carriers like a cruise ship, it's very, very steady. You don't really feel like you're on a ship. Once you get your sea legs under you, you don't even feel like you're on a ship. When we were in the South China Sea, you knew you were on a ship. I mean, the ship was going up and down. We pulled the planes from off the flight deck. Um, it was it was crazy. So they told us that we're going to go through what's called the Taiwan Straits. Um, 
to get out of this choppy water. Um, and on our way to Hong Kong, it's just right around Taiwan, no big deal, nobody worries about it. That was an international incident. Now, they knew what they were doing. What they told us was one thing. What they really were doing another thing. Uh, Taiwan was planning on their first free elections. Um, China did not like the idea of Taiwan having their first free elections. And so they, there was a lot of talk. And uh, the USS Nimitz was the first aircraft carrier to go through the Taiwan Straits since uh, Richard Nixon was in office um, doing you know, his China tour. So it was a pretty big deal, and we didn't request permission to go through the Taiwan Straits from China. It was a show of force. And we didn't know it at the time. We didn't know what we were doing, but that's what we did when we went to Hong Kong, Singapore. And in that time frame, China really got upset. And they started dropping, uh, coincidentally, started doing these, um, uh, uh, what they call it, warfare games or whatever, where they're testing their, their missiles. You know, a course, test, uh, wink. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right off the coast of Taiwan. I Just a thought. We just, we're just testing them out, see yeah. what happens. You guys are okay, right? Yeah. <laughs> and hope so, we're not hope we're not disturbing you. Right. Yeah. Just, just that. <laughs> and so then we were called out. We were two months into the Persian Gulf duty, and we were called out with a few other carrier groups out to the Taiwan Strait, out to Taiwan, to patrol it. Say, hey, stop, knock it off, basically. I think I wrote a letter to my cousin saying. Oh, I got an idea. You know, don't worry. Well, uh, China's throwing muscles off Taiwan. We'll just throw the Nimitz out there. They'll stop. Hopefully, <laughs> knock on wood. <laughs> no skin off my get back. Yeah. <laughs> so we went. We went over there. Uh, we diffused the situation that we created, and uh, they stopped um, doing it. Uh, we got an award for it. One of the one of the ribbons I have is called the Meritorious Unit Accommodation, and had everything to do with that that action. Um, and we, they used that as an excuse for us not to go to Australia. Now, people would tell you that you guys are never going to Australia because um, Greenpeace does not want a nuclear carrier there. And so it was, it was, it was always a big joke because every time they would go out on Westpac, they would say, well, we're going to hit Australia, and they never do. And they always gave them <laughs> an excuse. Well, that excuse happened because of the, the Taiwan Straits debacle. And there was another piece too. We the cruise that I went on the aircraft carrier was the first one that had women on board on a warship, and so I was a part of that little history as well. We um, the ship when I first got on was all men, and we started getting women officers. And then all of a sudden it was uh, there was maybe in our division we had thirty people, and I think three of them were women. So it was, you know, a tenth of the, the staff was, was women, but they were on board, and it changes things a little bit. Um, when you go, uh, go through different areas, let's say when we cross the equator, there are different rituals that occur, you know, on, on a ship. Um, it, it, it's probably a part of the form of hazing sort of a thing. But you go from what's called a non-shellback or to a shellback for what was the a wog, I think we were. And then you, once you cross the equator, you become a shellback. But you don't just get a shellback. You have to go through all this rigmarole, which included rotten food and all kinds of <laughs> things that you don't even want to hear on this podcast um, that you would go through. 
And the reason I bring this up is that we got to one degree of the equator. They never crossed it, but I think it had everything to do with us having the women on board. They didn't know how they would address that situation with the women or how we would do it. Um, at some point, you end up being naked by the end of the whole rigmarole of mm. you know the ritual. And so I think that had a lot to do with us not ending up going to Australia at that point. I think it had a lot to do with us never crossing the equator, even though you know it would be easy just to cross and come back. You know, yeah. Not a big deal. But we didn't. And uh, so I never became a shellback. And we didn't go to Australia. We ended up going to Thailand instead. Um, it was a, a part of the isthmus. It's, it was called Pattaya Beach. A lot of people went there. Um, did five days there on the way back and then ended up hitting Pearl Harbor and then going to, you know, finishing that the, up the cruise. That's, God, that's amazing. Like yeah. the, the amount of, the amount of places you can go see. I, I actually did wonder about, especially like with female personnel and whatnot, because you almost wonder that it's like, well, in theory, if they're there, they should be able to do all the same things. But we also don't live in an, in that kind of reality where it's like, oh, yeah, you can do all the same things because obviously the dynamic is different. Was that something that, at least in your experience, was that something that was just like, a, oh, yeah, women are on the ship? Or is it just like, yeah, whatever, I don't care. I've got I've got other people I've got to deal with. I don't so long as they do the job, I don't really care. How did that uh, did that really change the dynamic other than? somewhat official policy like at your level where you like cool women on board whatever i well, want them to do the job let, let, let's remember what age i was at this point too yeah. right <laughs> <laughs> i mean it was, it, was, it was nice um and it had its you know it, it had the negative effects we were an experiment really um we were the first i mean other ships like supply ships would have women on it but they weren't on warships it was one of those archaic, you know, men, men go to war, women, you know, you cook dinner, whatever, you know, the, the whole 50s rules or whatever. Yeah. Um, it was it was a coming of age type of moment that which I got to be a part of, which was really cool. Um, women would do there, there. There came with that a whole different bag of issues that weren't seen before that you had to kind of make accommodations for or figure out how that was going to work. I mean, relationships. People on the ship were having relationships, obviously. There was there was a woman that was basically prostituting herself, for lack of a better word. Um, obviously, you're out to sea for six months. Mm -hmm. There's some money to be made there. Um, there were people that, uh, you know, would, would use their femininity to get out of work. But there was also men that you know did the exact same thing. So yeah. that really wasn't much of a change. You had to make new accommodations for quarters. You had a um, the we call them heads. They're the bathroom basically. You know what were male bathrooms now became you know female bathrooms. Or you try to they had to try to split up the ship so you had enough. And uh, one of the bath our head our bathroom up above our berthing was a, one of the largest on the ship. It was huge. It had um, stalls galore and had, you know, there was showers. It, it was always, we were just lucky to have it, you know, near us. 
but it got split in half <laughs> because you know you had to make a and it was just a metal wall they put in <laughs> kind of funny but they, they did and um so uh those types of accommodations had to be made and you know what you know the higher ranks were dealing with they had to learn how they were going to treat the women were they going to treat them different than they would the men you know again going back to those old stereotypes that all had to be learned and you know there were classes and all that fun stuff being involved uh as it worked i i think they you know you have to go through all the wrinkles to be able to get to the end yeah and i think we were at the very beginning of the wrinkles and so you know you kind of learn to everything kind of figures its way out but yeah it was a different dynamic it added a different different item to it now i'm not blaming women for me not being a sea back or a sea a shell back that that's fine I'll have to cross the equator some other time. I well, still haven't done it. I was going to say, we'll yeah. figure it out at we'll some point. We'll figure it out. Yeah, it's been 20 years. I still haven't done it, but 30 years, whatever. Um, I still haven't done it. So, but the, uh, uh, it, 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 it was just different. It was, it was different than other people's experience. So that's kind of fun too, to have that unique experience. Now, we, we also talked earlier about when you were, when uh, the Nimitz was going through the Taiwan Strait, how you guys were told, oh, we're doing this but you actually were doing something else was I would imagine that was something that was fairly typical that it's like, Hey, we're doing it for this reason. And then, and it's just because it's like, they don't uh, need to know basis is right. I guess the, uh, the phrasing was that pretty much that it was like, things were on a need to know basis. That's literally, that's just how it works as a general rule. You might be told the whole story, but chances are you just need to be there. Right. Just do this. Uh, was that was that fairly typical? That's fairly typical. Yes, absolutely. Um, did I expect it? No. In, in my mind, no. That made sense. We're going through there because you know calm waters. It wasn't until later we found out why you know we were going through that. And even recently, I saw on a website somewhere that said it never happened. <laughs> well, it's one of those situations where I actually know I was there. It, yeah. It, it did happen. It actually was uh, played out on a West Wing episode. They had a whole episode on it. I thought that was kind of cool. It was a little piece of history I was a part of. And they, um, they kind of talked a little bit more because uh, when I was in, Bill Clinton was the president and a lot of the people that worked for Bill Clinton ended up um, doing a lot of the uh, help uh, assistance with the West Wing. So it, it makes sense that it all kind of came together. It was 10 years later before you know it actually came up, but there's a great episode about it that talks all about why you know why we were doing what we were doing what was what was really the dynamics at play there um, um, across the board I thought that was kind of a neat another tidbit of history that we were part of yeah for sure yeah well and we've we talked earlier that the end of your active duty was 1997 and at that point you alluded to it earlier where it was like, I think the adventure kind of got taken out of me <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Um, was there like any particular event that you were just like, I am sick of having to deal with these guys snoring. I am sick of having <laughs> to deal with like, I don't even have my own room. Uh, was, was there like a particular thing? Cause it may not even just be one thing might just be that it's like, yep, I'm ready to move on. Um, but it's like, you know, so long, thanks for all the fish, uh, you <laughs> right, know, so yeah. to speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, was was that kind of the thought process going in there? Yeah, you know, young and stupid, um, you know, caught up in my own little world. 
in my mind, the people that I graduated high school with, they're finishing up college now. I'm behind, you know, in the work world. They're going to be my boss because they've finished college and I'm not even starting college until four years later after they graduated. Those, ty those types of things started playing in my head. Uh, Seattle, Br uh, Seattle, Bremerton is across the Puget Sound from Seattle, basically same area. Um, it's beautiful in the summer, three or four months in the summer. It's a gorgeous place to be. The rest of the year is a lot of rain. <laughs> and it's gray and not not rain as in thunderstorms or hard pelting water. It's a heavy mist that just soaks you, soaks you to the bone. And um, it, it gets really dreary. And they don't have the exact same seasons as we did. If they get a snow dusting, schools are closed. Everything's closed. Forget it. It's not happening. Um, be it there in the mountains, it's a little bit different. But, uh, yeah, it, it's not like Minnesota. There is no exact season changes there's the brown season there's the wet season which is nine months of the year <laughs> uh sometimes they get snow they had one snowfall that you know collapsed roofs it was a foot of snow it took it all out probably a heavier snow than what we're used to but their buildings aren't built the same way ours are here in minnesota so i started missing home i started missing the four seasons i started thinking about and i became a huge gopher fan all of a sudden you know now, now everything Minnesota was was a part of who I was, um, and the other people, you know, from all, you know, I could probably name a person from each state across the country, which is kind of cool too if you think about it. You know, you, you see the Buffalo Bills play, I think Joe Cross right away, boom, mm. Joe Cross. <laughs> I hope you bet it on this game so we can beat him. Every time Joe <laughs> Cross bet on something, it didn't happen. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> actually, when the uh, Bills lost for the championship recently. I sent a message out to Joe asking if he bet on him again. Because <laughs> he said he bet on the uh, Bills to win four Super Bowls and they lost all four. Um, but <clears throat> I became a very strong Minnesota fan. Everything Minnesota was, was a part of who I was. And I couldn't wait to get back there. I was looking forward to getting back home. And interesting, my, and that's where I thought, you know, maybe my sense of adventure got left me. I still, I still have a yearning to see the rest of the world, see other parts of the planet I haven't seen yet. But at that point in time, you know, I was spoiled. I'd seen a lot of the world. A lot of those kids that went to college out of high school with me hadn't seen and didn't get to be a part of and um, weren't in those cultures, weren't immersed in all that. So I did have my benefits too. You just don't see it that way when you're that young and stupid. I was going to say, I'm jealous just uh, in this conversation that I'm like, <laughs> God, I don't want to see those places. Yeah. Um, so once you go into 97 where you become inactive, does that pretty much mean that do you have to like check in at all? Or is it pretty much that it's like if, <laughs> if war is declared, then they're going to come find you and be like, all right, we got to, you know, you're up now. Or was it, or was it kind of a, you know, well, I guess, did you have to check in at all? Or was it pretty much like, well, we've got your paperwork and if we'll need you, we'll find you? Basically, yes. Um, we were, well, you're supposed, to, anytime you moved, you were supposed to let them know that you were moving so they could get a hold of you if necessary, obviously. Um, but yeah, you, you basically were a civilian again, completely. It felt like a civilian. Uh, you're doing regular people things. 
you don't think about that, oh, I'm still, you know, attached to the military. Maybe a little bit um, at, at points where, you know, things start escalating. It's like, oh, wait a minute, they can call me back. Yeah. Um, but outside of that, no, it, it, you didn't check in with anybody um, outside of, you know, if you moved, you were supposed to register that in. Um, they basically knew where you were. Um, I'm sure it's much, much better system now, you know, in today's world with, you know, electronics, you know, um, tracking devices, your cell phones, you know, those types of things that they can, they can keep better tabs on you. But, uh, yeah, if I was to leave the country, I would have to tell them that sort of a thing. But outside of that, no. So especially like now, as we, as we finish up, especially your experience in the military is something that while a lot of people have also not a lot of people have was there something in particular that you were like i am so glad i was able to do this and then conversely was there also something that is like if i never had to do this again i've done it plenty of times like just kind of like what was the best and what was the worst the cool thing i mean i can give you a whole list of things that were really cool about you know whether that being on a navy ship living on a ship um working with other people doing some of the things that you do do in the military that you wouldn't do in any other you know part of life the places i traveled to those uh, all those things you know you can check the boxes boom 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 were all great things that i did the people i met the people i have relationships with because of that um those are all great things uh, the, you know, we, we did something called cleaning stations every day. We had an hour where we had to clean some part of the ship where, um, what the chief put it, he said, uh, sail, she may shine. She must was the, <laughs> <laughs> was, was the, was the saying of that crew, that captain and, um, executive officer. But, <clears throat> Those I could have done well without, you know, stripping and waxing a, a wax floor. It's something that, you know, if I don't ever have to do that again, that's fine. <laughs> I'll be okay with that. Or um, having to paint all the time. Oh, my gosh, I got the paint beat out of me. Um, <laughs> and living living with 30 other people, that, that gets old. But, yeah, those types of things. But, you know, you bond a little bit better with, with those situations as well. So. Yeah, it's kind of a deal where, like, if you're forced with people, it's like you don't want to ever be forced with it, but you wouldn't experience what you've experienced in any other way. That right. it's kind of like, a, well, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Don't want to do it now, though. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, as long as I'm with you guys, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> Tear. Um, and then just to really finish up, I, I would be remiss, especially because when you were totally up, when you're you were up in 2000 we're talking still a year before 9-11 after 9-11 i mean we look at especially i have one netherlands listen and so i'm going to accommodate you guys for (laughs) americans uh there's pre-9-11 and then there's post-9-11 um with the military being what it is now with with especially like because you were there pre 9-11 everything was a different world or at least like the way that everything is presented to us is that it's like yep it was pre 9-11 and post 9-11 with everything that's gone on post 9-11 
would this have been something that you would have entertained if you had graduated? I graduated from high school in 2004. Mm-hmm. Would you have done the same thing or would you have thought the same way? And this might be a hypothetical, but would you have thought of things the same way knowing that it's like, I may have to go to this place. I may have to go to this place with a you know different world. Would you have still wanted to join? That's a very good question. Uh, interesting. There, there is a part of you that'd probably be a part of me forever. They, I mean, brainwashing in boot camp is something they do. It, when, when, in two thousand, about the time I, you know, was released from you know any obligated service at all, the USS Cole was bombed by I think all, you know, Yemen area. And that was a that was a pretty big deal. One of the things that I did on the in the on the ship was I was on the fifty caliber team where you know we had the machine guns uh, throughout the side of the ship and we were to fight against any small small boat attack. That's exactly what happened. The USS Cole. It was a small boat attack. That would have been something that we should have you know should have mitigated with that. So it really rang home for me and, and something that. I would have been able to do, you know, you trained and um, pushed to be ready for a certain event. And that's at some point, you almost want the event to happen because I've done all this training for it. Mm-hmm. So I, I need to be able to get out there and, and, and do the things that I was trained to do. Um, whether it be brainwashed or anything, I, you know, I, I do wonder it had to, had, had to take somebody's life with that how would I would have felt about that? How would I have dealt with that? You know, going on for the rest of my life. And I, I know some people that had to do that and, and get in those situations. And it it doesn't always nobody wins in war. If you survive, you still have survivor's guilt. Mm-hmm. You still have done things that you wish you'd never had to do or or even think about. And I, I do worry about things like that. And I worried about that with, with Nate and my kids. You know, if, if they were to go in the military, would would they, you know, be in a different world than what I was, you know, pre nine eleven? Would you know, would I had to have done something that maybe I, you know, maybe I wasn't just not built to do, right? Maybe that wasn't my mindset. Um, I I think I would have still wanted to do what I did. Um, Maybe I would have been a little bit even more patriotic at that point. You know, when 9/11 happened, you know, obviously that was a, a big event across the nation. I, I remember going the Fourth of July one year, wearing red, white, and blue, and I was the only one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 9/11 hit, and for that next year, maybe two years, I think everybody was wearing American flags. It became a thing. It was huge. Not just on the Fourth of July. You know, I'm talking to none of them folks. The it it it. It was a big deal here. We became very patriotic throughout the country. Um, you know, people were waving flags up on bridges. I still remember that, like you know, yesterday. Now you'll see flags actually mounted on bridges, which is which mm-hmm. was not existent before 9/11, but now it is. And I, I just I just remember that whole mindset changed. You know, from being a nation where we were like, yeah, yeah, we got freedom. You know. And we like it and everything, but it wasn't necessarily as patriotic as it was after that 9-11 hit. And it's still, you know, carrying on today, there's there's still a lot of that patriotism out there. 
Um, maybe, maybe that would have pushed me in. I don't know. But uh, but being older now, older and wiser, seeing some of what might have been going on with with why we were you know so fond on why it was so important for us to get you know Iraq out of Kuwait, you know in our mind you, what the press tells us might be one thing where you know if you don't think that we're being propaganda against. <laughs> you've never studied history. Yeah. You just haven't done it. It just hasn't happened. So you got to know that there, there is something else on board. And it could be a lot of the oil companies needed access to that oil and they need it cheap. And so, you know, we'll sacrifice a few of our, our you know, kids that think they're going to go to college. That, that's a sacrifice worth, worth fighting for for us um, so that we can make more money. That is definitely a thing that does occur. And, uh, so that part of me says, you know, it's not worth putting my life in so somebody else can make more money. But if we're talking about true national defense, without a doubt, I would do it. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. But if we're talking, you know, what might really be on some of those actions that we do, yeah, it might not be worth it. 2023 is a heck of a lot different than 1993, yeah. uh, to say the least. And I think... Uh, you're, you're Gen X. I'm a millennial. Uh, it has definitely been interesting to see how the last few years, especially in terms of American foreign policy, and that in and of itself would be a totally different podcast. <laughs> but uh, it's especially important to know that the people that are on these ships, the people that are in these planes, they're people. It matters where we're sending them off to. It matters what orders that they're being given. And um, especially over decades worth of Middle Eastern policy, I think it's definitely worth asking the question if uh, if we actually are doing what we say we're doing. And um, But it's been awesome to have this particular conversation. And I don't know how I'm going to split this up because we also have something that is far more in the civilian realm <laughs> and something that is going to be a lot more, uh, is going to be a lot closer to home. And... Uh, well, we're going to see how I edit this because I'm not sure how I'm going to edit it. But thanks again uh, is Chris John. And if you want to catch him, he is uh, you can check out his uh, website, Chris John for number four Burnsville.com. And uh, we'll have a lot more information on the next episode. So stay tuned. Our conversation with Chris John will finish up in two weeks and it will be different than the last two parts. Stay tuned. Hi, everyone. Thank you for listening to Historical Diversions. If you enjoyed this episode, your feedback would be greatly appreciated. Five-star reviews, positive comments, and even just telling your friends about us helps. We're on social media, Twitter, Facebook, etc. But the mothership is historicaldiversions.com. You can find show notes, ways to support, and other fun info on there. Thanks again for listening. This podcast was written and produced by your host, through Historical Diversions LLC. Any other rights belong to their respective owners.